Yo, what is up? You have found I Like the Blazers. I am your host, Brandon Goldner. And yes, once again, this is another politics podcast my brother and I recorded. Still pumping it on this feed. But uh, we did talk about it at the very end of the episode soon. Remember polysci.com. Polysci is P-O-L-I-S-C-I. Uh, RememberPolySci.com will be live and a separate Remember PolySci stream will be going at some point in the not too distant future. I did get the domain. We're not quite there yet. But until then, we are going to talk politics, the election, Joe Biden winning. We go through kind of the play by play on election night, how we were feeling about it. Uh, the response from President Trump. We talked about the turnout that Biden got with more conservative voters. And we also talked a little bit about what Trump's concession speech would sound like if he were to make one. And then finally, kind of what Trump may be up to in, in the coming years because of, of, of this election result not going favorably for him. So, um, yeah, we're trying to come every week with something politics related. Of course, the emphasis on the election will lessen a little bit now that the election is over, which is nice, will allow us to kind of branch out and broaden out a little bit. But, uh, yeah, hope you appreciate this episode. And, yeah, thank you all for sticking here, even though we're not talking Blazers right now. At some point, we will get back to that when there's basketball or something basketball related to talk about um but yeah it's been all election all the time i appreciate you all thank you hit me up at goldner pdx on twitter if you want to talk about it or give me give us any advice babbling 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 without further ado here is now episode i think we're calling it episode two of remember poli sci let's get it okay hey everybody i'm alex and i'm brandon hey brandon remember poli sci <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Remember Poli Sci. We've got a lot to talk about today, obviously. Brandon, why have we got a lot to talk about today? Well, Alex, you know, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. will be the 46th president of the United States of America. You can now call him president-elect, and I am president-erect. I am just so, <laughs> so happy with this news. Oh, yeah, man. you might want to slow down a little bit there, Brandon. I mean, we've got a lot to a lot to go in there, but you know, I'm not ready to concede this election yet. I mean, just because it's oh. been called by the Associated Press, I mean, who are they if not the deep state of the press? Well, it's been called by the Associated Press, by Fox News, by CBS, by ABC, by C. It's been called by every major news outlet. And to keep in mind, these are projections. Technically, no state has certified the results, but it's over. Uh, I wanted to start, though, Alex, what were you thinking? We have so much to get into, like you said, but just to start to set the table, where were you when you found out? Actually, let's go back to the election night. What were you thinking? What was going through your head? And like, what happened as the hours and the days went on from election day proper up until, you know, yesterday? All right. So, you know, I don't like to reveal my political philosophy specifically on this podcast because it's really my job to offer a little bit of a counterpoint to you. But, you know, I definitely was a big Biden supporter. I am a big Biden supporter. Um, maybe not centrally because I, you know, support Joe Biden in particular, but I just find Trump to be such a corrosive and, quite frankly, frightening force on American politics that I would almost support anyone fervently who is opposing him and has a chance of winning. But I'll just say, you know, I I have not had 
until maybe last night when the race was called by the media, I did not have a moment of feeling like things were really going our way. And I was one of those people who kind of felt like Trump was unbeatable. Um, he does Trump does have a, a dark force to him, um, almost a magic. And I think that did play out in the fact that he's he's right. He got a phenomenal amount of votes. I mean, he got people out to vote for him. In fact, he he got a historic number of votes. There's only one person who's ever had a uh, a more historic number, and that would be Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah. So. It's, I mean, there's – yeah, there's a lot to say, too, about that, how much support Donald Trump got despite everything that he is and everything he stands for. I did want to ask, though, did you – were you doing anything on election night proper? Did you have an expectation of how the results may come in? Were they different from your expectations? Did it feel like 2016? I mean, what was your headspace? Or maybe, maybe you weren't following all that closely. I don't know. No, you know I was following closely, but for me, it didn't feel like election <laughs> night. It felt like election nights because it felt like – I mean, it was it was true. I was waking up every couple of hours. I like, I, you, I know you, you don't have kids yet, but you'll have this experience when you have a newborn of waking up every couple hours to make sure they're still breathing. So that was my experience with this election, waking up every couple of hours, refreshing CNN, seeing which states had come in, you know, just not – not being able to really get into deep sleep and feeling very unrested the next morning and just throughout the day just constantly checking waiting for something official to come in i mean it, it initially you know i think a lot of us had been sort of primed for the fact that you know initially republican votes are going to come in a lot of those folks are going to be voting same day so the states are going to have you know we call it a red mirage or a blue mirage and you did see a state like south carolina look blue uh for a short time and you saw you know michigan um, uh, uh, Wisconsin. What's that? Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Look, yes, red Wisconsin is what I was looking for. I was thinking of the cheeseheads, and I just couldn't remember the state. But um, you saw, you know, the Rust Belt states at large looking very red in the beginning of the night. So I actually chose to turn off the phone and not and not check for a few hours, and just found myself waking up in the middle of the night to refresh. So until the the Rust Belt states turned blue, I was definitely felt like I was I was walking on eggshells no doubt about it yeah, I so I was following very, very closely. The New York Times had what they call a needle for three states, for Florida, Georgia, North Carolina. It was a needle that showed the probability of that state going to one candidate or the other that they said they were going to turn on right when Election Day hit because those states report their votes very quickly, including the mail-in votes. And I'll tell you, Alex, when I saw the needle for all three states tipped toward Trump at the very beginning when it was clear that Florida was going the wrong way. I'll be completely honest with you. I felt a lot like I did in 2016. Um, in 2016, the New York Times had a nationwide needle, a predictor of who they thought would win the entire election. And I remember very distinctly sitting on the ground watching that as Hillary Clinton was not looking so hot and the needle started tipping toward Trump and when it kind of crossed that threshold and you started knowing it was over, I seriously, on Tuesday, got a massive pit in my stomach and I felt almost what I would call despair, which is really odd considering this is not something I have any control over, right? Like, so why are you feeling anxious about it? Uh, I also thought I had done a good job of protecting myself mentally and kind of saying, oh, Donald Trump could still win, had been trying to tell myself that over over the weeks leading up to the election, I was watching it very closely, watching the polls, all that stuff. I don't think I really 
I don't think it really sunk in that Donald Trump did have a chance just because of how strong Biden looked in the polling. And so in the very early evening of Tuesday, I felt I felt very um, really, really bad. It was it was not a good feeling. I'll, I'll okay, say Okay, so I have something to add there. I mean, so if you felt that bad, why didn't you call me? Because you did not call. I, I like couldn't text <laughs> you. I couldn't get a hold of you. What the hell, dude? We were texting a little bit, a little bit. I think part of you it is- You seemed really quiet. And I thought, what's going yeah. on with Brandon? I thought maybe you were like uh, doing some art or out skateboarding or something. You know, I think I was normally quiet do. because I, I felt really bad. I mean, Cassie can attest. I mean, I- when, when at the very beginning, again, it's, this is so odd, and I should have realized this too, states report different votes at different times, to your point. Maybe they do in-person first. Maybe they do mail first. Maybe both at the same time. And so as we are all experiencing the votes coming in, it's not reflective of one candidate doing better or worse at a given point in time. It's when that result is being revealed, and it's being revealed at different times differently across different states. So I, I should have maybe had that in mind, but I wasn't responding to you because I felt awful. Let like, me I, interject here. Okay, this idea that we're going to have a needle on the election that's predicting the outcome based on results coming in, this idea that an election is a horse race that we incrementally watch yeah, and sit there and watch the votes pile up dude that that makes no sense it really doesn't make any sense why do we do this to ourselves is it just because the tv networks really run america in a lot of ways and we have to figure out a way to make this something that's going to get eyeballs glued to the screen because really wouldn't you have preferred to just count the damn votes however many days that takes and then you know publish the results and tell us who the winner is i i mean i think trump has he took advantage of the fact Don't that we Don't you blame report- this on Trump. This has been going on for a long time. No, I know, but Donald Trump took advantage of the fact that we report elections yes. in this way by making the statement that I was leading, I was leading miraculously in the polls and, and, and all of a sudden I'm losing? Like, that makes no sense. And <laughs> yeah, there's a portion of the it population who's sense. not going to question it. Well, right, and it makes perfect sense because it does, it depends on the state they... They administer their elections differently, and I'll say this. On the one hand, you're right. It doesn't make sense for us to be watching with bated breath as the results are coming in. They're being reported differently, especially during a pandemic. So much mail-in voting and people are voting differently for the first time. The administration of the elections is different. So on the one hand, it's frustrating that different states do it differently because it's not consistent. On the other hand, the fact that different states do it differently and the fact that they are all independent, that the results from states are independently certified by those states— It makes it much, much harder for there to be this widespread fraud, as Trump has been claiming for months, right? It makes it very difficult to say, well, this is all a sham because you have 50 different states that are all certifying the results independently. And within each of those 50 states, you have dozens of counties and parishes who are the ones that are actually tabulating the votes in the first place. So while it is frustrating that it's not consistent, it does make our electoral system more resilient and over the last couple days we've seen that's been a a very very good thing i think it's been very frustrating for trump that there are so many states other than uh pennsylvania that he lost in i really don't think he was uh expecting to lose in arizona i don't think he was expecting to lose georgia certainly not um and you could kind of see you know when he's been priming us for something to go down in pennsylvania i think he was hoping it was going to be closer there he made that comment at the first debate you know bad things happen in philadelphia and then they come out with this story of you know we 
saw, I think it was 53. They had a complaint. They wanted 53 ballots thrown out because they were moved from one pile to another pile. Okay, 53 ballots is not going to make a, any any difference in this particular yeah. election. Unfortunately, he's down by 50,000 votes. So that, you know, it's not, it's not going to help him. And I mean, I think it's also worth mentioning, you, you, you said a little bit ago that Trump was like, well, you know, I, I was leading and then miraculously Biden starts leading. Well, you know, again, that's not how voting works. People had already cast their vote. That's just based on when the states are actually counting those votes. And remember, there are Republican legislatures like in Pennsylvania that restricted Pennsylvania from counting those mail-in votes earlier. So they had to do it later, probably specifically so they could take advantage of this time of uncertainty to sow discord. It's all very, very ugly. And I think that for somebody who clearly didn't want to lose, probably didn't expect to lose, thought that he could control this more than he can, Trump is now flailing and in the process is really undermining democracy. And that's kind of a big bummer. Yeah, but I mean, part of me, I've, I've thought about this in, in two different ways. I mean, I can definitely see the point of like, this is awful. You know, I this is this is damaging democracy. It's undercutting people's faith in the electoral system. But here's the thing. Trump wasn't going out any other way. I mean, honestly, was he? No. Was Trump coming out on election night and saying, Joe, you ran a great race, and I've just got to say, you know, I'm stepping back. It's your turn. Hell no, he wasn't going to do that. <laughs> he was never going to do that. So for me, it's almost like, you know, America, you drank too much. You need to go to the toilet and puke. Let's puke. Oh we're we're going to throw up right now, and we're going to see what it feels like. That's the only way to, to cleanse Donald Trump from the system, really. I, I, I truly believe that. I don't know what that even looks like, though. And to be fair, like, I don't think America is going to get its puking binge in with someone like Joe Biden, who very strongly during the entire campaign has said, you know, I'll listen to you whether you voted for me or not. I want to respect people. You know, we are Americans. We're we're not enemies, even if we're political opponents. And so Joe Biden is probably not going to be the one to lead the purge of Trump and Trumpism. That's going to have to happen with the people who believe in him and support him. And I just don't see that happening. It's, it's, I don't know. Like, no, I meant it less broadly though. I mean, like if you wanted Donald Trump to leave office, it was never going to be easy. That's what I mean. Oh yeah. No, I I, I don't mean, I don't, we're not purging alt, right. We're not purging Trumpism. He's going to continue to be the standard bearer of the party for some time. I mean, he is definitely going nowhere that I can, I can definitely assure you. Um, You know, let's talk a little bit about turnout, though, because, you know, Trump made this comment that I received the most votes of any sitting president ever, 71 million, which is true. That's true. Uh, The only thing he leaves out is that Joe Biden. Why are you mocking him for that, Alex? (laughs) How many votes did Joe Biden get? Do you know? 75 million so far and counting. Remember that New York only 85 percent reported California now up to 87. But that number is only going to go up. Wow. So, I mean, the turnout for this election is just unbelievable. I mean, the numbers are huge. To put this in perspective, you know, when Obama won uh, his first election, he won with a historic number of voters, and it was 69 million, okay? 69 million for Obama. Trump is there. I mean, the loser of this election is there. So it's just unbelievable. It really is. Uh, we'll we'll see, you know, how high the numbers really go. But for sure, this is going to be um, the, the greatest turnout we've seen in this country. And what do you what do you yep. attribute that to? I have a few things in my mind, but what do you attribute this to? I think it honestly, it, it's it's odd to say it's the pandemic. It's the ways in which states have had to adapt to make voting easier and more accessible for people. Because ding, ding, people- ding, 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 ding. 
me? Yeah, because people can't vote in public and think about this. If you're a state that has never had like extensive early voting or mail-in voting before, you know, then you've had what people crushing themselves in lines on election day proper waiting 30 minutes an hour two hours more just to cast their vote and now people can do that ahead of time and that only that not only makes sure that more people can vote but it makes the lines on election day a lot shorter so yeah it's the pandemic which is odd to say but true well let me ask you this how long did you wait to vote how long were you in line Oh man, it's so funny. We so and here in Oregon, we've had vote by mail for thirty years, um, and I uh, I went from getting the ballot in the mail to filled out and dropped off in the ballot box within ninety minutes. So. Okay. And the other I waited zero of that minutes. Is the results of our votes were in like two hours after the polls closed. So, I mean, right. do you know when when do they start counting those votes? Do you know? Yeah. So Oregon is allowed to start tabulating those votes immediately so they can get everything prepared. They just can't report out. So that means that Oregon, you're right, they had like 90 plus percent of its vote reported at 8.01 p.m. a minute after the polls closed, which is the way it should be in every single state. Yeah, and so, yeah that's my next question. So explain to me, why is it not like that in other states, particularly states controlled by uh, Republicans? So there's two different answers. One is why they don't want that to happen. And the other is the reason that they give. The reason that they give is security, safety. We don't want voter fraud. We want it all to happen on the same day. Uh, I suspect the actual reason is exactly this. It's so it takes longer, which is awful. Like that should not be the way it is. There is no good faith reason to wait to do anything with your ballots if you have them it only creates more stress on the workers it creates more stress on the public there's no reason not to do it ahead of time so i i i mean it's very difficult to i mean you had the governor of mississippi for example a couple days ago saying if anyone ever tries to pass vote by mail and early voting in mississippi i'm gonna veto it there's too much chaos the reason why there's chaos is because republicans intentionally set it up that way i mean this is a classic republican tactic think about the way that they approach government in general they want government not to work so they can say look it doesn't work and then they dismantle it that's literally straight from the republican playbook so what about what about all the dead people and illegal immigrants that voted by mail in this election literally (sighs) millions of votes right no literally not millions of votes that's the, (laughs) the funniest part about this is that you have some people who believe what Trump says, which is fair. I mean, he's the president of the United States. If he says that there's widespread fraud, I could see if you supported him why you believe it. There okay, is- wait, wait, wait. Don't move on from that point. Just say that same thing again and let me be shocked. That there are people who believe Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> it is and- shocking. It is shocking. Um, yeah, and that so- there's widespread voter fraud. <laughs> oh, it's just it's it's super super difficult. Um, so at any rate, yeah, America compared to other countries generally has pretty low vo- voter turnout, and that didn't change here, even though it was the the, the highest number of votes we've ever received. Um, still doesn't compare to other industrialized nations, and particularly those that have compulsory voting like Australia. Um, but yeah, because of the pandemic, easier to access voting, easier to vote, so more votes. So if you don't vote in Australia, do they send a kangaroo to your house and you have to box them in the front yard? Is that what happens? I think it's happens? a wombat. A wombat? Yeah. I think it's a wombat. <laughs> no, they wombat? actually – so you can you can basically on your ballot in Australia say, I decline to vote and return it and you're fine. But if you don't return anything, then you get like a violation. There's like a fine associated with it. 
I mean, I that seems to make a lot of sense. If you claim to participate in a society, you should at least be given every opportunity. I'm not sure about getting a citation, like turning it into a punitive thing, but I mean, certainly providing a ballot to everyone uh, so that they could fill it out if it works for them, I, I think makes a lot of sense. Now, do you think, I think Trump had many efforts at voter suppression in this particular election. The number one, you know, the number one way Trump is trying to suppress the vote series just to make people feel like they don't want to vote for whatever candidate is running against Donald Trump, right? So he's saying, Joe Biden is the most corrupt politician in history. I thought it was Hillary Clinton, but whatever. You know, (laughs) you could see how they were driving towards that. It's whoever's in front of him. And then, you know, they're going to put up a lot of roadblocks to people voting. You know, they'll say, well, mail-in voting is 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 not secure. Your vote's not going to get there. They're hoping a certain number of people are going to just, you know, fail to vote or feel like this doesn't matter. And then, I mean, let's not forget, Republican the Republican Party literally paid to get Kanye West put on the ballot in certain states. I believe Minnesota was one of them. That is just the most ridiculous way to try and shave votes off Democrats. But, you know, it probably worked. They probably did shave off. I think he got 7,000 votes in Minnesota. So do you think their efforts at voter suppression worked in this election? Do you think it made it a tighter race? Yeah, you also. So, yes. And there are other ways in which votes can be suppressed, too. You think about Florida. If you have a felony, you know, you're you're not you were not able to vote. They actually changed that law. But then in a scrambling response, they made it so that if you have an unpaid fine and you're a felon and you vote, you could go back to jail. And then they made it very difficult for you to determine whether or not you had a fine. Right. So that's voter suppression you have in Georgia. It's kind of the same thing. It's like you have actually a lot of these southern states, if you've had a previous conviction that you're not allowed to vote, uh, you can have voter suppression by like in Texas, the the governor tried to make it so that each county could only one have one ballot drop off. Which and what's his, his stated reasoning for that was like we need to have a guard at each drop box to keep it secure, something like that. Like how did they how did they pass that off? Yeah, it, that's what this all comes down to, right, is that the Republican arguments for some of these measures that have not been shown to be effective or to effectively combat against the very, very, very small amount of voter fraud that actually does occur. And the result is that people's votes are suppressed. It's harder to vote. People can't vote. And that we can document, again, like if you look at people, how long they have to wait in line in states that don't have vote by mail. So all this is just to say – did the effort to suppress the vote work a little bit? Obviously, I don't think that that explains why Joe Biden underperformed the polls so significantly, which he did um, in in almost every state, uh, with with the exception of a couple. Uh, and there's, I mean, there's so much to say about that that we don't have to talk about. But um, yeah, I do think that part of the reason why, you know, if this had been a non-COVID election, uh, it would it would be interesting to see what the result would have been, particularly if Trump wouldn't have been hammered on his response to COVID, which was inept at best and evil at worst. Well, that was absolutely the number one issue, and I think rightfully so. The pandemic has now killed. You know, 230,000 Americans. We're, we're going to see a lot of deaths over the winter. It's going to be really bleak. It's going to be bad. There's no doubt about it. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up that I find interesting. So I follow um, the Lincoln Project pretty closely. And the Lincoln Project was a group of Republican operatives who were never Trumpers and basically put together a pack to uh, try to convince a certain number of Republican voters to come over to the Democratic side 
tried to remove Trump from office. That was their stated goal. And Steve Bannon, who of course is one of the one of the initial sort of creators of Trump's success and still a very prominent alt-right thinker um, who recently actually got banned from Twitter. I, did you hear about that? Why Steve yes. Bannon got banned? What, say why, why it was. He basically said, you know, when Trump wins the second term, the first thing you do is put Dr. Fauci's head on a pike outside the White House and, and just like medieval style, you know, warn people, you either get with the program or you get right out. And I think he meant it. So I, I'm not sure he meant it literally. Honestly, I listened to the clip, and you know he he speaks in colorful language. Maybe he did mean it literally, but I didn't get the sense that he did. But either way, he's he's banned permanently banned from Twitter for that comment. It is oh, dangerous for so a person good. of his prominence to make a comment like that. I mean, it does incite violence, even if he didn't particularly mean it that way. Anyway, Steve Bannon had this idea. It's called the Bannon Line. That if you could convince three to four percent of Republicans to come over and vote for Biden, you're going to severely damaged Trump. And the Lincoln Project internal polling was suggesting that they were running near 12, 13% in some states, Arizona, I think predominantly, of Republican voters that are crossing over to vote for a Democrat this time. Probably didn't help that Trump uh, shat on John McCain constantly, I mean, in the state of Arizona. but Probably not. So I, I just find that interesting. I mean, do you think this is a one-off? Is this something that we're going to be able to do, that, that Democrats are going to be able to do again in another election against possibly a different Republican candidate? Well, I want to add a caveat to this. It's very difficult this election, at least so far, to get demographic data on who voted because so few people voted in person, which is generally where that demographic data is picked off through exit right. polls. And we also saw that the polling in many, many states um, and frankly, a lot of national polls were off. And so I think that people are a little hesitant to draw conclusions about what the electorate looked like. With that said, I think that Joe Biden is and was uniquely positioned among the Democratic candidates for president to make this argument and make it effectively. It also helped that Trump is who he is. And there are many conservatives who don't appreciate Trump, who don't appreciate the way that he approaches politics, who don't appreciate that he undermines democracy, that he is frankly a horrible human being. And so I do think that the combination of Joe Biden being relatively moderate, the fact that Joe Biden began the campaign and continued with overtures toward people who didn't vote for him and because of who Donald Trump is, I think that this may not be something that continues in future elections, and I wouldn't count on it. What I would count on is the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, which, by the way, brought home a victory in the state of Georgia, where Biden now leads by 10,000 votes, the effort of Stacey Abrams, who almost won won yes. the governorship yep. two years ago, right? Yep. That is extremely important. You think about the progressive representative in Minnesota. Biden got a huge win in Minnesota. On the other hand, Republican John Kasich from Ohio, Biden did not do very well in Ohio, right? And so, like, I'm not saying that you can draw a straight line between these individual people and whether their centrist or more progressive ideology helped to hurt Biden. I'm just saying that I think that this particular election was prime for somebody like Biden to pick off Republicans, and I would not expect that to continue moving forward. Yeah, I would I would agree with you. Now, I'm fishing for a tiny bit of credit here because you're my brother. You know, I have to sometimes, you know, just just get a little something from you. If you Do teach you a man to a fish for credit named Alex, who like a year and a half ago was saying Joe Biden, man. And you were like, no way, not Joe Biden. Do you remember that conversation? 
Yeah, I do. It's because I didn't particularly care for Joe Biden, right? How, like, how, I mean, how do you? Let me ask you a question. How do you like Joe Biden now? I fucking love Joe Biden now. <laughs> I got yeah, a Biden Harris sticker on my car, man. I'll tell you, like, I mean, not to go too much into this, but yesterday when the race was officially called. I cried several times. You know, I got emotional when Biden and Kamala Harris, who, by the way, let's not overlook the first woman of color in the vice presidency, the first black woman, right. the first yep. woman of South Asian descent. That is a huge yep. fucking deal, right? Um, but yesterday was an emotional day for me. I even made a cardboard sign and I put it on a stick and it said, Trump is over. And I went on my run. I run, you know, four or five times a week. I ran through downtown Portland, ran through water front and then ran to pioneer courthouse square where people were gathered in the celebratory party celebrating that biden had won that trump had been voted out with this sign saying trump is over man i am so so happy that joe biden was elected and yeah like my feelings about him today are much different than they were during the primaries as someone who volunteered for bernie sanders as someone who is you know i consider myself to be pretty progressive uh yeah biden was not my first choice by any stretch he did. He did bring it home, though. And even in our small town, there were people driving around. I saw a young couple with their top down on their little BMW with a sign that said democracy lives and they were smiling and hanging out of it. And, and there was there was just revelry in the air yesterday. It was pretty fantastic. So let, let's talk a little bit about our election system. Um, how do you feel about it? Does it do you feel like this election is testimony to the strength of our elections or the weakness of our elections? What do you think? That's a great question, um, and it's something I, we had this teed up in a different section, but I, let's just hit it now because it, it intersects. That someone was kind of you know chatting on Twitter about the fact that Trump's unwillingness to concede his willingness to undermine this democratic process. He's been doing it for months saying that I, I won't concede the, you know, I'm going to win. If I lose, it's because of voter fraud and election fraud. He's, he's too conceded to concede. <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> Brunch. That, that because of that, the argument was that our system, our democratic system, our republic has been compromised in some important way because of that. I have the opposite view. I think because Trump is who he is, because he's been calling the results into question before they even came in, because it looks as though, knock on wood, that none of the lawsuits that Trump has filed claiming voter fraud, that none of them have been successful. There has been not a scintilla of evidence that there is widespread voter fraud, not anything even close to the point of affecting even one state, let alone many, many states. I think this was a pressure test for America's democracy. And frankly, I think that it is succeeding. And I think that's very important. So when you ask me our election system, yes, it it intentionally suppresses the vote by not allowing some people to vote. It is difficult, too difficult for some people to vote. It's confusing. It's hard to tabulate. And all of that is true. But when you have someone who is the president of the United States, the most powerful man in the world, telegraphing that he does not want to leave office and sowing doubts in the minds of Americans about the electoral process, and yet he still cannot get his way, I think that's super, super important. I think it does speak to the resiliency of our democracy and frankly i'm pretty proud of our election system right now i really am 
Well, yeah, something to say about that. I mean, I think power begets power. And I am relieved that Trump is not going to have a second term to continue to erode the system. It seems as if the election system is very inequitable. I mean, depending on what state you live in, you might have an experience like ours in Oregon where it's exceedingly easy to vote. You have every opportunity. You've got weeks to turn in your ballot. Or you could live in a state where you literally need to go to the polls on that day, on on Election Tuesday. And if you don't make it, you don't get to vote. You know, I think, like you said, the opportunities to vote were expanded dramatically by the pandemic. I think that was something that, you know, states had to do, frankly. I mean, it would it would have just been ridiculous if they hadn't been able to manage some sort of response to the pandemic in this case. But I'm I'm just I'm overjoyed that we're going to have the opportunity to take the presidency back and hopefully try on a federal level to make things a bit more equitable for voting. We do need to pass a second voting rights act. We absolutely do. The the system as it stands is disenfranchising, you know, a, a population that Republicans have targeted as democratic voters. That's that's just simply a fact. But here's the interesting thing for me. Donald Trump did better with with a few groups um, on this election that, that surprised me. Specifically, you know, I was reading, and, and again, this information, as you stated, may be inaccurate because of the polling data. You know, if a lot of people are voting through the mail, we're not going to be able to get very accurate exit polling on them. But so far, I mean, it does look like Trump did do better with certain Hispanic and African-American groups. And I'm wondering what you would attribute that to. And let's zero in on the state of Florida, where clearly Trump outperformed anyone's expectations. Um, and I think he was very successful with the campaign that he ran down there. And we have to give him, I don't know if I want to give him kudos for it, but I want to at least recognize that so that we can perform an autopsy and maybe prevent that from happening in the future. Uh, what would you think about that, the the strengths that Trump showed in this election? Uh, yeah, I'd give a caveat really quick. I'm not like a, a, a culture expert, right, um, or a demographic expert, but I do have a couple of thoughts about it, um, and they're not unique to me. They're things that I have heard and that make perfect sense. One is— Well, how dare you assimilate information from other sources and turn them into a unique perspective? Unique I know. <laughs> I, yeah, it's it's horrible of me, and also I'm just going to take full credit for everything if it's right, and if it's wrong, I'm going to blame them. That's the way to do it. It's the American way. It's the Trump way. Uh, in Florida <laughs> specifically, you had—well, and the other thing to note before talking about this is that you know the black community is not monolithic the latinx community is not monolithic so you can't just say well you know black voters and latinx voters they voted in a certain way it's like no like you have cuban populations in florida you have mexican americans in texas you have folks from nicaragua or panama in different states and you have, you know, black communities in Alabama, maybe different from black communities in Oakland and Atlanta. So just to say that no one community is monolithic, obviously people have lots of things that make them tick, lots of things that will that will guide their vote. So that's just important to note up front. Having said that, in, in Florida specifically, Miami-Dade County, the biggest county in Florida, South Florida, Biden severely underperformed Hillary Clinton's performance there. And I would say, and I think I think most people would say, most people would say, it's because Trump was able to weaponize the specter of socialism uh, with Cuban Americans who are skeptical of socialism because of their experience in Cuba, right? So it's like the more that Trump was able to connect Joe Biden with socialism and some of that was kind of bleed over from the primary where Bernie Sanders, who is a democratic socialist, was a target of Trump's ire. He was, you know, Trump was able to very effectively brand Democrats writ large and Joe Biden specifically as someone who is sympathetic to socialism. And that 
you know, that affects people who have a bad experience of socialism. So there's an explanation there. Um, I think it is also worth noting, though, like there's a, a, a county in Texas, in South Texas, that swung like 50 or 60 percent toward Trump. And it is it's like you kind of scratch your head and you say, well, how, how could that possibly be? Um, there is something about Trump that's very, you know, masculine to be it's very favorable a uh, very m- macho right like this very kind of male dominated uh kind of brusque brute sort of figure um and there are some people for whom that really resonates right and i don't think that we should overlook that um the final thing i would say is the democratic party in general has been really really bad lately at connecting with people who used to make up their base, which is working class folks, whether they be people of color uh, or white people who are working class and don't have a ton of money. It's the same people who Bernie Sanders was able to activate very, very strongly that Biden has a more difficult time with and the Democratic Party has a more difficult time with. I think that's something the Democratic Party should be looking at very, very carefully and should be super wary of that moving forward. So those are just a couple of thoughts about that. But yeah, at first glance, it does seem kind of puzzling. Uh, it does, but I mean, I, I think you hit the nail on the head that these are not, I think we tend to lump people into groups for the purposes of trying to secure voting blocks, but these are people. I mean, they have various varied experiences and different perspectives. I mean, I just remember one extremely cringeworthy moment from Biden's campaign when he had a um, a significant Hispanic musician on and was being introduced at an event and then turned the song on on his phone and kind of jammed out for a minute. Do you remember that? He's like, oh, I love yeah. that tune. It was like, dude, you've never heard that song. Like, don't. I think the pandering <laughs> doesn't come across well. And I think sometimes the Democrats allow themselves to to fall into that a little bit and it's it's hard sometimes i think maybe for a guy like joe biden to understand what real connection with those populations would feel like and getting someone like kamala harris involved um or you know julian castro involved in your administration maybe you could actually connect with those voters in a way that's meaningful to them because you would actually have that perspective on board and i know that joe biden is going to do that in a way that trump didn't now it was just i just have to mention this because i just thought it was so hilarious Trump, at the end of the campaign, sort of realized, I've got a problem with African-Americans. So Lil Wayne came out and endorsed him. And then this other rapper, Lil Pump. And I was reading about, you know, why I just I just was trying to figure out why did they endorse him? And we had talked about this a little bit on the last podcast. And you mentioned it was probably had to do with taxes, which it did. But it, it mentioned it mentioned that um, Lil Pump figured out he's going to have to pay a little more taxes under Biden. And so he decided to come out and support for it tr- with his support for Trump. And I just think it's so short-sighted, you know, that these these members of, of, you know, an elite community don't understand when you pay taxes, it's not like you're throwing that money away, right? You're building a more secure society. I mean, that's our perspective, I think, as as progressives that, you know, you're when I pay taxes, honestly, I don't see it as the government ripping away my rightly earned money. I see it as my small, uh, my small way of paying into the system for the betterment of other people. Um, anyway, I also read that Lil Pump can't read, and I just thought, that's not a guy who's opinion I really care about on tax policy. But anyway, I don't don't want to be mean. I'm just saying I think both sides can fall into the pandering game. And I think in order for Democrats to do better, you know, we're going to have to get 
people involved. And I think we're hopefully starting to do that. Now, what do you think about some of the losses that, you know, we, uh, 538 was was uh, tabulating before the election. We were going to see the Senate flip. They had like 83% chance the Senate was going to flip. Um, and they, they were broadly forecasting that we were going to see expansion in the House, which obviously didn't happen. So what do you think is going on there? Uh, it's tough to say. It's um, Part of it, again, it goes back to what there was some systematic uh, problems <laughs> with the polling to get a sense of what public sentiment was for this election. And that's, that's true, again, nationally and at the state level. Um, that's part of it. I can't really... Uh, I can't really explain why right beyond that, because I think that if you if you think about this election, if there had been perfectly accurate polling, if the entire time we had had an understanding of like, OK, Trump is an incumbent and incumbents don't usually lose. Right. Like it's a pandemic. It'll be easier for people to vote. Uh, OK, Biden will win by you know four percent and, you know, 300 electoral college votes, all that stuff. And Democrats won't make gains. I don't think it would be as surprising now that Democrats didn't make those gains in the House and the Senate than to have the expectation that they're going to be making these gains and for it to not come to fruition. And so it's sort of it's sort of the same thing. It's like expectation management. It's the same thing we were talking about earlier about votes being counted. That doesn't change the votes that were cast. It's just revealing the outcome at different times. Um, more structurally, it, it like it's Republicans have done a really good job. Uh, governing as a minority. Republicans have done a good job with gerrymandering. Um, Republicans have done a good job kind of sticking together on issues and getting people elected where progressives tend to splinter. And because of that, even though fewer people, again, voted for president, fewer people voted for the totality of people in the House, fewer people voted for the totality of people in the Senate, but that's not reflected in our leadership, right? Like it doesn't matter that more numbers of people cast more votes for Democrats. That's not reflected in our government. And that is just a very tricky thing that I'm not sure can be undone unless you redistrict, unless you get rid of like the electoral college. It's just all very difficult. I sort of see, I just want to mention, I think some of some of the changes, some of the flips that we saw have to do with the inaccuracy of polling. And perhaps it's just really difficult to get a hold of people now. I mean, honestly, when do you ever answer your cell phone if an unknown caller calls you? I mean, I have a feature on my phone that basically silences all those calls and sends them right to voicemail. So essentially, you could never... You could never connect with me for a poll. I mean, how would you connect with me? <laughs> Internet polls are totally inaccurate because you're only capturing, you know, a certain proportion of the population that's going to whatever website you have set up. So I'm not sure there's really a good way for us to continue to poll at this point. And I don't know what that means for elections going forward. I mean, it does make it very difficult to know where to focus your resources if you're running a campaign and you have a budget of however many X million dollars and you need to decide what markets you need to be in, maybe that's part of the reason that elections are just getting more and more expensive. I mean, the the amount of money spent on this election is in the billions of dollars, right? And a lot of that money was just wasted. Your, your ads are falling on deaf ears. I'm not sure what we're going to do about it going forward, but it is very interesting. Um, the other thing I want to say is I think Trump, he's his rhetoric is almost like an illicit substance. It's like heroin. It's like the heroin of politics. You know, he started with saying things that were a little bit outlandish. And to get that same rush that you got the first time you heard him say, the people coming into our country, they're murderers, they're drug dealers. You know, in order to get that rush, it's got to go all the way up to the fact 
fact that now he's saying the election was totally rigged when it totally wasn't. I mean, there's there's nothing. I I just feel like the next step could be something truly scary, like Democrats need to die. I mean, honestly, it just feels like you're mainlining this rage politics and it just keeps the, the temperature just keeps going up and up and up. And I think Biden is uniquely positioned to possibly offer a remedy for this, at least temporarily. The way he has engaged himself so far has been incredibly inspiring. And his, I don't know if you saw yesterday, um, Kamala and Joe gave sort of an, uh, a, a visionary sort of acceptance speech, you know, that I, I know the election hasn't been officially called, but they wanted to make recognition of the fact that the election had been called in their favor. And Biden did not gloat a single word of that. Biden was not up there reveling in the fact that he, Joe Biden, did something. It very much felt like he is accepting the mantle of responsibility for a broken politics. And I think for a lot of us, that felt very healing in that moment. But to go back to this idea of rage politics, uh, what have you heard about the Hunter Biden story recently? It's funny how that just kind of disappeared, right? <laughs> that disappeared the night of the election. And it's funny because Trump, again, he he so accurately states what his own game plan is. He was stating, he was saying before, you know, the coronavirus story, it's going to go away on November 4th. Well, coronavirus didn't go away, but the Hunter Biden story sure did. Um, I, I just don't know what's next. I mean, they got to go from one hit job to another. Um and well, I, so I, what's what's next is I think that you're going to have a struggle within the Republican Party between people who are saying that Trump should concede and people who think that he, that he shouldn't concede. It's it's awkward because now you have every living president has now congratulated Joe Biden, right? Including George W. Bush, the Including only George... living Republican president. Exactly. Uh, you have the prime minister of Canada. You have the prime minister of Israel. You have world leaders congratulating him. Look, the election's over. And the problem is you now have a man who whose ego will not allow him to concede. It's uh, I think that here's something that came up as far as like what's next. Um, there has been a theory that perhaps Trump, knowing that he is legally vulnerable once he's no longer president for his various crimes, including some that are being prosecuted in the state of New York against the Trump organization. but Total what, hoax. Total hoax. All fake. Uh, once he's no longer in his capacity as president, he personally becomes more liable for things, right? There's a theory that perhaps Trump, seeing the writing on the wall— will resign before the end of his term so that Pence will pardon him. What do you think of that theory that Joe Biden would not, in fact, be the 46th president, but could potentially be the 47th because Pence would serve out the remaining couple months of Trump's term? Do you think Trump has that in him? I think it's possible, but what's the point of him pardoning himself? His The crimes that you're talking about are potentially insurance fraud um, and tax fraud in the state of New York, and a federal pardon doesn't do anything for that. The other thing is Trump has made the comment in the past that he can pardon himself. So I don't know. I think he he enjoys being in power. He enjoys being relevant. He would like that to continue. Um, he's also made the comment that if I lose, maybe I'll leave the country. I mean, that means he's thinking about it, right? Trump says every everything out loud he can't help it and that's one one of the things that honestly i kind of like about donald trump is that at least you know what he's thinking 
I'm kind of hoping, you know, he'll try to to challenge some of these things in court. It's going to fall on its face. He's never really going to concede. And then he just kind of disappears. Um, but I don't know. I, I could see this going down many different paths. Just to back up a little bit and, and go back to, you know, what Trump is trying to paint the election. He's trying to paint the election as this um, fraudulent event. Has there been any uh, that you know of? Has there been any attempted fraud that that it looks pretty robust, where it could have had an actual effect on the election um, that you've seen, or is it mostly just sort of minor complaints that they're trying to sort of magnify into these great spectacles? There, there hasn't been anything. There hasn't been any iota of evidence to suggest voter fraud. I mean, every election has its hiccups and its quirks. You had a couple things, for example, I think it was in uh, Michigan that for a little while the results gave Joe Biden like 120,000 votes and Trump didn't get any. That was a reporting error. It didn't affect the tabulation. It was resolved extremely quickly. You had another one where there was a claim from people in Nevada that this woman tried to vote and they didn't let her. She was part of this big Trump organized press conference about voter fraud, it turns out that she had already voted and that she was given an opportunity to sign an affidavit swearing that she hadn't yet voted. She declined to sign it because it turned out that she had already voted. Uh, Do you remember a certain president that encouraged people to vote twice? Do you remember that? Oh, man. So, yeah, I mean, you look at like the other what what are some of the other claims that, well, in Pennsylvania, they're not allowing our observers into the room. That was bullshit. Trump's lawyers argued in court they had to admit that, of course, both parties were present for the counting. It was about how close they could be. So they said, okay, well, as long as you're okay socially distanced, both parties observers can scooch in a little bit closer. So. There up until this point, and you know, we're recording Sunday at, at four o'clock, Sunday, November eighth, there hasn't been any evidence at all of any voter fraud, and especially not enough to overturn even a very, very close race, let alone many races over many states. So yeah, I mean it's just it's very, very tough to hear the president, to hear some Republicans continuing to lie about this, and people do follow these folks, they believe them. Right. I mean, they really do. I mean, there are people who are earnest people who are confused about whether or not this was a Democratic election because people are lying about it. And it's really quite disgusting. So there is uh, there is an organization called the Federal Election Commission, and it does have a commissioner named Ellen Weintraub. And she would like you to know, and I'll read her quote, that there's really been no evidence of fraud. State and local officials and poll workers throughout the country really have stepped in, and there have been very few complaints about how this election was run. Very few substantiated complaints. Let me put it that way. There's no evidence of any kind of voter fraud. There is no evidence of illegal votes being cast. In fact... You don't have to take my word for it because people throughout the country, nonpartisan election experts, have come out and handled this election and how it was run. Does that mean anything to you or do you just want to be mad about it, Brandon? I think I just want to be mad about it, you know? I mean, I just, I just really am amped up about it. Yeah, it's – I mean you have like – you know, you have Republican – election clerks who were saying on the record, uh, hey, I'm a Republican and our election went off without a hitch. Could you please stop lying about it? That's a tough place to be, right? And uh, yeah, I, I feel bad for all of the people. I mean, there have been 
election workers who've been harassed because some of the live streams would show them doing their job and people are like, look, they're throwing away votes. And it turned out it was like an instructional piece of paper. And now this person is in hiding. That's a real example of someone I think in, uh, I think in Georgia, I mean, just sad stuff. It's just, it's I heard really, about really another bad. one in Nevada where, you know, somebody was walking by with a wagon filled with boxes and people snapped shots of him and said, look, they're bringing in votes. And it turned out it was a photographer and it was his photography equipment. And, you know, they posted a picture of what was in the wagon. It was all this camera stuff. Now, I mean, there are some real life effects when you have the the individual in the highest office of the land saying that the election's being stolen. There are people listening to that who are willing to take it a little further than others. There was a story a couple of days ago, a couple of dudes from Virginia who are uh, self-described QAnon followers were arrested in, outside of a convention center in Philadelphia, armed, heavily armed with handguns and rifles, attempting to deliver boxes of fake ballots to a voting center. That is an, that is an episode of real and actual fraud that was uncovered by the FBI. And by the way, the FBI only uncovered it because they received an anonymous tip. So who knows what could have happened, right? I mean, and why were these guys so heavily armed? Who knows? I'm I'm really glad that it's well, not more of a story. Why is anyone so heavily armed? You had people here in Oregon and Salem who were at uh, a Stop the Fraud rally yesterday, heavily armed in front of the Capitol. For what reason? Because these people don't have anything better to do because they just want to intimidate and harass people. It's really gross. And like it is it is an intimidation tactic. But I will say, because I'm supposed to be the more uh, conservative of the two of us, you know, they they do see this as a cultural touchstone that they're allowed to walk around with their weapons. And it's a way that they can identify themselves to others with a similar viewpoint. And they spend a lot of their time, you know, worrying that that Democrats and progressives want to take away their weapons. And so part of it is is they're steeped in a culture of that. But I, I think it's certainly an intimidation tactic. There's there's no re- – they're not expecting to use those weapons. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, it, it is it, – for, for people like us well, who didn't grow up around guns, I think it's hard to understand. Uh, I mean, I, I know that often those things don't end in violence, but you did have the protester, the right-wing protester who did – shoot a number of people right and so it's like that that kid was like 17 dude i mean i'm not saying i'm just saying yes that can happen but i i i I agree with you that it's mostly because they want to project an image of strength uh, right like I, i i get that it's still it's just like Look, I I worked at the Capitol right in Salem. I was a um, a staff member. I worked at the Capitol. There was a day where there was a large group of protesters, quote unquote protesters. I don't know what they were trying to, you know, um, what why they were so aggrieved. And they showed up with open carry and walked throughout the building with large firearms on their back. As a staff member, as a person just going about my business, just doing my job. I that I felt unsafe, man. I mean, if their goal was to make someone like me feel genuinely unsafe, that then they met their goal. They did it. It's a hundred percent their goal, by the way. Absolutely. Well, good for them. They totally, they totally did it for sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that it really benefits them in the long term. Um, well, I want to move on to our next section, and you know, I've been thinking about what's going to happen with this election. Trump has clearly lost. I don't think his lawsuits are going anywhere. We've talked about that. 
You know, at some point, is this guy going to get up there and give a concession speech? I just, I, I've been musing on it. So uh, I asked you, Brandon, if you would write something down, and, and I wrote something down myself. And I thought, you know, we could we could end the show with a little bit of a performance piece of Trump giving our imagined concession speeches. Oh, <laughs> my mean, God. How much I'm time really do we have? I'm excited to hear yours, too. <laughs> oh my! I, yeah, I realized this. Week, I appreciated this little bit of homework, um, and it was very difficult for me to think about what he might say. Um, and I, I think it might run a little bit long. Uh, so I want to hear yours first, and maybe I, as you're going, and I'm I'm taking it, and I might pare mine down a bit. Okay. All right. All right. So I'll I'll just get into character here, and I I love your Trump impression. By the way, I'm so excited to listen to it. So it's don't not worry very about good, it going man. Long, I don't know. <laughs> It's going to make me laugh, dude, and that's that's the point. So, My fellow Americans, our great country has experienced the greatest fraud of our lifetimes. After running the greatest presidential term and having the greatest campaign ever, corrupt Democrats and the radical left have used foul and disgusting fraud to destroy our country and steal this election. The corrupt courts have let this stand, and I have fought this. But the deep state is set against another Trump presidency. To protect myself from the evil of the deep state, I am resigning the presidency, effective immediately, and turning over the presidency to the only American great enough to handle the job, Mike Pence, who will immediately be granting me full, durable, unquestionable pardon, (laughs) and also my family, and my staff, and anyone who voted for Trump for all time, no backsies. (laughs) This pardon will extend to all states, especially New York, and is retroactive to myself immediately, going back to the foundation of the Trump Organization and my first fake check, the greatest business of all time ever built, I might add. Additionally, I am announcing an exclusive Trump television production company and nightly news hour called The Real President, starring me, The Real President. On this show, I will nightly advise Joe Biden on how to be a real president and patriot. We all know he will fail. That will run on OAN from 7 o'clock Eastern. I will see you there. God bless Donald J. Trump, the greatest man I've ever known. And God bless the Trump Organization. Thank you very much. Oh, my God. That was incredible. (laughs) By the way, I want to give you props for actually completing the assignment. You gave an actual concession speech. (laughs) That was was actually – that's – I mean, we talked earlier about would Trump resign, right, and and let – Pence take over so he'd get pardoned and that's that's where he went with that. I I like that a lot. <laughs> it's a little tongue in cheek obviously, but honest I wouldn't be surprised. We'll see where he takes it. I wouldn't be surprised if he he incorporates some of those lines of thought. I I like I thought that was pretty much on the nose. Oh man, I I almost just want to let that one ring. I just want to let that one stand. Mine pales in comparison. Oh, come on. I definitely was looking forward to yours. Oh, come on. No, you're, right. you're, you're, I I'll just want you to just do it, dude. It's going to okay. be awesome. Okay, okay. <clears throat> Good morning. I'd like to provide an update on our fight against election fraud and voter fraud and mail fraud. But first, I want to say thank you to all my supporters, to the millions and millions of people who came to my rally. Some of the biggest rallies anyone's ever seen. Some say the biggest ever. This election has been a fraud. If you count the legal votes, I win. I won on election night. I was doing very strongly. Some say the strongest votes ever. I was up in Wisconsin. I was up in Michigan. I was up in Georgia. I was up in Pennsylvania. I won Florida by a very 
large margin, very strong votes from Florida. It was a landslide, and they all knew that very early. They knew that. I'd won the election. In fact, I did win the election after all the legal votes were counted. As everyone saw, they saw how wrong the polls were. They were all wrong. The polls were a complete disaster. But then, like a miracle, it was like magic. Oh, what's this? All of a sudden, after everyone had gone home in the middle of the night, Biden started getting votes. They came in. Biden, Biden, Biden. And suddenly, Trump isn't doing so well anymore. I've assembled a team of lawyers. Very good. Some would say the best in the world. These are very expensive people, very strong lawyers. <laughs> I've assembled a team of lawyers who are currently in the process of taking many counts of voter fraud, mail fraud, and ballot fraud to the Supreme Court. And I anticipate we'll see that very shortly. In fact, I'm told the documents are being prepared as we speak. And I think people are going to be very surprised at just how much we have assembled. It's a total disgrace. It's a disgrace <laughs> to our country and how they're trying to steal the election. And we won't let that happen. We're not going to let that happen. Democrats might want that to have happen, but they have a very strong team. We won't allow that to happen. There'll be a lot of litigation because we have so much evidence and so much proof. So we think there'll be a lot of litigation. And I've said very strongly that mail-in ballots would be a disaster. And it has been a complete disaster. And it gets worse and worse every day. And we can't let that happen. And we won't let that happen. Thank you very much. His concession speech is just grievances. Yeah, that's probably that's the super thing is that he accurate. doesn't concede in mine. He doesn't no, actually I, concede. I, I think you might be more more on the nail than me. Honestly, I, I doubt he really will concede. Oh, I loved that, Brandon. That was so fantastic. And some of that was like stuff he actually said. I yeah. just watched his speech from election night. The stuff you were saying about he was up in Michigan, he was up in Georgia. Right. I mean, how does that pass for evidence in anyone's mind? Yeah, you were up when they hadn't counted all the votes. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, there's anyway. a, like uh, it doesn't make sense to everybody. There's this dude on, you know, I mean, why am I picking Twitter fights? But this dude who just can't accept the, the election results and he's linking to like, you know, Breitbart articles and he's linking to Fox News clips of Democrats hide the evidence and then turn and say that you have no evidence. So he's. The argument that some people are using is the absence of evidence is evidence that the evidence has been covered up okay so if the democrats stole this election why the hell didn't we steal the house and the senate too this was really because that'd be a bridge too far alex (laughs) it doesn't make any sense oh my god it's just it's unbelievable not to mention i mean do the total number of overall votes not convince people you've got joe biden that has you know at this point like you said it's probably going to go up but five million more votes than trump does that mean anything to them i mean i know it didn't mean anything when hillary lost with three or four million more votes but whatever and by the way i mean can we just remember that hillary clinton you know she conceded a couple hours after the network made the call and that was when you know that was like election night michigan and wisconsin were still really close you know michigan ended up with the tightest margin in state history that trump won by in michigan and you know it's again i some things that people Um, should probably know is that presidents and the candidates for presidents having a team of lawyers to try to litigate in close states, that's not unique to this year. That happens all the time. These candidates have teams of lawyers to do just that, right? I mean, so there's a part of this where it's not 
unusual for someone to want to litigate. But so much of this is, you know, A, become public and B, has become completely overblown because, again, Trump telegraphed that he wasn't going to accept the results of the election until, unless he won. Um, well, what's, what's unusual is, is a candidate wanting to go down that route. I mean, most candidates in an election would like to win the election. But Trump, you know, clearly win the election, like by getting more votes. But Trump, from the beginning, I mean, he's made it clear he, it doesn't matter to him. The, the, the Democratic idea doesn't matter to him. All that matters is if he wins. He doesn't care if it's because Brett Kavanaugh writes an opinion and it puts him into the presidency or he actually gets the most votes. He doesn't care. It doesn't matter to him. That's really the, the difference. And another point I want to make regarding concession speeches, Trump doesn't get to stay in office. Even if he, he doesn't have to give a concession speech, he doesn't have to concede. On January 20th, 2021, his term is over. And if he's still in the White House, he will be removed. And I have a friend who says the minute they turn off the blow-up mattress in the White House, he's going to leave, right? Once they turn off the lights, he's going to leave. <laughs> Trump has no legal standing to stay there, and he knows that. And in a way, you know, it's it's kind of genius how we have the system set up. It's it's learning all the ins and outs of it now. It's pretty smart. I mean, it's pretty insulated from, from a totalitarian taking over, you know? Right. I mean, and think about this, uh, that— when it became clear that Joe Biden was going to win, this was the day before the networks called the race, but the Secret Service went out to Delaware to start protecting Joe Biden and the airspace above his house. Do you think that Trump gave the order for Secret Service to tar- start protecting Joe Biden? Hell no, right? No. So that is Thank an- you, Deep State. Thank right, that's you, an deep that's state. an indep- that's a function that's independent of the president. And to right. your point, you're right. It does highlight and make more obvious the ways in which our government is. You know, it can work independently of someone who's trying to stay in office past their welcome, which Trump is definitely trying to do. And it does. It makes me feel. I mean, I, I, I you know, if I'm naive, I'm naive, but it makes me feel pretty heartened about our system and its resiliency. It's actually pretty impressive. I'm happy with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we can discuss this on another episode. You know, I I think there are other, you know, maybe parliamentary systems that that would do a better job at producing results. I think our system is often gridlocked by the fact that we have bipolar parties, right? And and it's become increasingly difficult for those parties to come together. You know, if anybody has an opportunity to actually do this, I believe it is Joe Biden. Uh, He, I think, honestly, he was the man for the moment. And I'm just, again, I'm so glad I called that and that you admitted I was right all those years ago. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I'm so sorry. Okay, so we're going to wrap up. We're at, you know, an hour and two minutes. Um, we kind of went over our, our outline. One thing I want to say is we, we talked about, you know, our, our concession speeches. We've talked a little bit about where we think this is going. What comes next for Donald Trump? I mean, I, I think he's going to leave. I'm just I'm just going to put it. I'm going to put my my foot strongly on the side of democracy here, and I'm going to say Donald Trump will leave. You think he's going to stick around, try to be part of politics, get his own TV show, maybe run in 2024? What do you think Donald Trump is going to do, Alex? I think it's more likely that Trump is in prison than the Republican primaries in 2024. <laughs> Jesus. I really do. This guy, Uh, look, the presidency has both protected him and also shined a light on stuff that I don't think he wanted people knowing. He is liable in ways in which uh, most people would be terrified of, and I think he is, right? So I, I... 
I don't from the 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 fraudulent charities to the way that he over exaggerated the worth of some of his properties in order to get loans to the people or the country. Standard standard business practice. Well, standard business because I'm smart. This dude, I I I really think the hammer is going to come down at some point, and I I think that part of why Trump doesn't want to leave is his ego. I don't doubt that, but I think part of it is that I think that he's afraid. Well, he's been uh, he's been requesting the Justice Department to represent him in a sexual harassment case, and his argument is, "Well, I'm the president, so Justice Department can represent me." And they said, "No, this happened before you were president. This has nothing to do with your presidency." <laughs> I mean, he is a guy. It is unbelievable. He has just skated on thin ice his whole life. Is how I feel with him. Like, really, he really has. It's it's unbelievable. Like that he. He thought it was a good idea to open himself out, up to the amount of scrutiny the president is going to have. It really is quite shocking to me. Um, and the stuff that's going on in New York has nothing to do with his time in office. It has nothing to do with, you know, violations of the Emoluments Act or the Hatch Act, which he's clearly guilty of as well. So I I don't know. I mean, the other thing is he's incredibly powerful. He rallies the base like no one before him. And I think that's part of the reason why you don't have prominent Republicans like Mitch McConnell coming out and saying, you know, we congratulate Joe Biden. They can't do it yet. They really can't do it. You've got, you know, the occasional Mitt Romney who, God love him, he Ugh. tries to walk well, this fine line. Can I tell you what I think it is? I don't think it's so much Trump and his apparatus necessarily. It's the people who support him. So it's very clear the Republican Party has a choice. They can choose whether they incorporate Trumpism and Trump supporters into the fold, uh, how much of a seat they get at the table, or if they want to pivot away from that. And I, I mean, I hate to say that I appreciate the strategy here, but you know, there's an argument to me that the, that the strategy to not jettison Trump instantly is maybe in their best interest because they have to figure out all these people who admire and adore and really respect Trump. If you're Republicans, how do you keep those folks from jumping ship? Yeah. And you I have to, if you look at it in just a nakedly political perspective, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, that is how they came to power. That is how they achieved a monumental number of votes in this election. Yeah, it's I'm just I'm I'm glad I don't have to deal with that problem. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. yeah. It's oh, So I, I mean to answer your question like I I I think what Trump wants to do is start a news network which is why honestly a lot of these Rupert Murdoch companies, you know, this is the dude that owns Fox News, he owns the New York Post, um he owns The Sun. A lot of them kind of quickly came out and said Trump lost, which is maybe not what you would expect from you know especially from fox news have been so friendly toward trump i wouldn't be super surprised if it's because they know and think that he wants to start his own you know trump tv network and i think if trump doesn't go to jail that's probably what he ends up doing wow that's an interesting thought so you think they're literally like "Uh oh this could be competition, competition. for us yep wow oh that's mind-blowing excellent yeah. insight yeah. excellent so i can hear the music starting right now i, I definitely hear it <laughs> oh man i know we could go on brandon but you know we, we are talkers uh but i i appreciate it and and thanks again like it's just it's always it's always fascinating to talk about this stuff i'm glad that we're on the other end of the election and yeah i just look forward to to doing more of this next week and the weeks beyond 
Absolutely, Brandon. Well, I'll see you next time. Actually, wait. Uh, record what? scratch. One what? more thing. Uh, I want to let the listeners know uh, this show is still running on the I Like the Blazers feed. I have registered RememberPolySci.com. Uh, shortly, there will be a separate Remember Poly Sci feed on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, CastBox, and you can go to RememberPolySci.com shortly. So just remember that it's not going to be there quite yet for this week, but moving forward, uh, RememberPolySci.com, RememberPolySci.com, and RememberPolySci.com. Look at Mike.